You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Randall T. Shepard. He was appointed to the Indiana Supreme Court by Governor Robert Orr in 1985 at the age of 38. He became Chief Justice of Indiana in March 1987, retired from the court in March 2012. At the time, he was the longest-serving Chief Justice in Indiana history. Still true? I believe so, yeah. And the Senior Chief Justice in the country's state Supreme Courts. Yes. Well, longest-serving. Correct. Wasn't the oldest. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Thank you very much. <laughs> he is a seventh-generation Hoosier. And an Eagle Scout. Must make Jim Morris happy. <laughs> yes. He graduated from Princeton University in 1969. So you were there at the same time as Mitch Daniels. We knew each other. Uh, he's uh, Mitch Daniels was uh, two years behind me, and uh, we still communicate every now and then. He's been on the podcast a couple times, a terrific mm-hmm. guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just interviewed someone... Uh, the greatest or probably the most widely praised Lincoln scholar in the world, and that's Michael Burlingame. I have met him, I believe, but I, I don't I don't actually know him uh, um, sort of day by day. Princeton grad, I think maybe yeah. a couple years ahead of you, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. Were you there when George Will was there? Uh, no, I'm a little too young for George Will. George Will would have, I think, left before I did. And how were you able to keep up with the academic comet that is Graham Richard? Uh, 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 well, he and I, of course, were classmates. And um, my goodness, Graham and I, uh, uh, used to, we, we studied the same subjects at Princeton and uh, occasionally would 
find ourselves in the in the library section uh, at the same time, working on a paper or, or reading our assignments, and uh, we've we've known each other ever since. Uh, I had the great privilege to uh, administer the oath of office when he became uh, mayor of Fort Wayne. Uh, went up to Fort Wayne and uh, uh, and and swore him in and. Uh, uh, I only see him every couple of years now, but uh, my goodness, what a what a wonderful collection of achievements and uh, and and interests uh, that are a part of Graham Richards' life. I had a Zoom conversation with him uh, about a week before we record this podcast, mm. and he was going on and on oh about you as a person, as an intellect, as a judge. And so I couldn't resist. I told him, I said, well, I'll bring up your academic record versus his. And he started laughing. He goes, please don't. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a story that has to do with both of us, but not until we're done. Yes, sir. <laughs> There's another famous person who we talked about before who's connected to you, obviously. You graduated from Yale Law School in 1972. Did you have any famous people walking down the halls huh. with you? I had multiple, uh, of course. I, I began as a classmate of uh, Hillary Rodham. Um, she ended up graduating a year later because Bill, sh Bill came um, a year or two later. He'd been at Oxford. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so um, the, the two of them uh, uh, became an item, and uh, um, that meant that... Uh, that Hillary needed needed to stay in New Haven while Bill finished, and uh, that's when she worked particularly on this book. It it takes a village uh, was part of what she did then, and she hmm. she also went to work as a staff member for the Great Watergate uh, investigation committee down in D.C. Sam Dash, I think, was the one she yeah, worked for. Is that right? Yeah, that's that might be right. Um, so uh, so I knew. Uh, both Bill and Hillary, uh, not 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 that we uh, uh, partied around late on Fridays, but uh, you, it was like a, Bill's pretty good person to party with. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a pretty small place, the Yale Law School. Um, there were, uh, I think, I was in what at that moment was the biggest class they'd ever had, which was two hundred and five or something, mm -hmm. which isn't very big for a law school. Um, and um, so you you see people hanging around in the halls and going to their next class and chatting and so on. Did you stay in contact with him when he became governor? Or? Uh, it was more with her. I would see her every once in a great while. Um, and uh, the other person, of course, who was there and I didn't know, but I certainly recognized uh, when I saw him on TV was Clarence Thomas. I think he was a first-year student when I was a third-year student. And you all just don't talk to first-year students? <laughs> no, you just don't get around to meet everybody, for heaven's sakes. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, in, and in fact, I didn't live in the law school as a third-year student, uh, which would have meant I'd have had a better shot at, at uh, spending more time. But uh, there, there were, and of course, what that meant uh, is there were, plenty of people in, in and around my law school class who ended up holding federal positions during the Clinton administration. So um, they were, it, it all, uh, the, I think knowing who they were, I think the country was well served. We interviewed David Frick. Yes. A couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. Amazing David Frick. He's... That's a good way of putting his, uh, his career. Uh, we've all been, the city in particular, but the state in general, very fortunate. There should be a statue to David Frick somewhere in the city of Indianapolis. Yes. That. Probably right outside the convention center or the Lucas Oil Stadium. 
Well, there is the Bill Hudnut bench over here. Uh, perhaps uh, the two of the <laughs> Bill sitting on one end, and uh, perhaps uh, David could sit on the other. Uh, David told us that he he was in law school with Stephen Breyer. I think he said he was oh, a couple years ahead. Wow. Um, is it different yeah. to go to an East Side? I mean, excuse me, an East Coast. I mean, that's I know that's kind of all you know is, but you're from Indiana. Matriculate out to Princeton, which is in New Jersey, then go to Yale, which is in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you belonged? I don't know how the way to put it. I mean, those are premier institutions, and sometimes they don't always look at folks who are outside their zip code with the greatest uh, uh, benignness. Well, I think there were um, in my in my Princeton class. I think there were seven people out of, and that was a class of eight hundred. I think there were seven from Indiana maybe eight. And um, uh, one of the reasons I went to Princeton is that it's in a much smaller community as compared to New Haven uh, or, or, or uh, Cambridge. Uh, it's in a relatively small town. One of the jokes people used to tell was that uh, Princeton was a place where the people who were running away from New York ran into the people who were running away from Philadelphia. <laughs> and there was a little truth to that. It was a. The other line was, "This is a. This will tell you how long ago it was. This is a place where you can, you can buy a an eighty thousand dollar house for a hundred thousand dollars." But it did. It does take some getting used to. Um, the other part of it was, of course, that a fair number uh, of the students in my freshman class were people who'd gone to residential prep schools, about which I knew practically nothing. But some of them have turned out to be good friends. I'm going to be going off on vacation in a couple of weeks, and I'll visit with uh, a gentleman who was uh, who also went to law school. Eventually, he was one of my roommates, and he was uh, he was a classic Phillips Andover uh, son of yeah, son of sure. a law partner sort of <laughs> sort of guy. But uh, we we got a lot. We ultimately became very good friends. But it it does take a little. But part of the reason I I part of the reason I chose Princeton was because it. I thought it was going to be easier to adjust uh, coming from a Midwest city, and um, um, Princeton doesn't have a law school, so it uh, that's part of the reason I looked elsewhere. And did you, how soon after you, well, you, you were there first, how soon after Mitch Daniels got there, for example, did you guys connect and say, oh my God, we're from, you know, a couple of Hoosiers out here in New Jersey trying to... Well, pretty close because we were uh, we were in the college Republicans, and uh, they would have regular meetings. Now, I I don't have it uh, seared in my brain whether it was his you know the club introduction period during his uh, first year, and I would have been by that time I would have been an, an, uh, a board member I think of the Princeton College Republicans, and um, so uh, we we would know each other and hang around. Uh, uh, pretty much, uh, pretty much the whole time. And the other person I could think of who went to Princeton, who's who's made his mark on Indianapolis, is Scott Newman. Sure, and I imagine he's a few years younger than. Yeah, you. I didn't know. I didn't know Scott Newman. I do now. I have. When you meet someone who goes, let's say, to Princeton or Yale Law, do you feel an immediate connection with them? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, you you know that you had experiences in terms of uh, what was the place like and. Which choices did you have to make? I mean, in, in those days, uh, one of the choices you had to make, although it wasn't entirely your choice, was uh, they didn't have fraternities at Princeton. And uh, actually, they, don't, they, they didn't have fraternity, real fraternities at Yale either. 
Um, so um, they had what they called clubs, and the clubs all had um, uh, homes. They had uh, uh, there was a street with about ten of them lined up next to each other, and that's that's what you you made that choice as a sophomore, and then you you went to the club wherever you ended up, and that was a place where you would uh, you'd actually take your meals. Uh, you wouldn't go to the you wouldn't go to the uh, main uh, cafeteria any longer. You'd you'd take your meals, as they would say, or become a member of a given club. And um, and then that's also, people became, that's where you went to parties. The club would have its own parties and uh, um, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you, you, you know that you're depending on the era, of course. I graduated from Princeton the same, I graduated in June, and the first women were admitted in September. So when I was there, Princeton was an all-male deal, and, and we, of course, complained to each other that we just barely missed. Uh... <laughs> you tell your Wabash friends? Yeah, right. <laughs> Got a lot of those, happily. So at one point, Mitch Daniels, graduate of Princeton, was governor of Indiana. Randy Shepard, graduate of Princeton, chief justice of Indiana. Does that give you bragging rights when you go see other Ivy Leaguers or other college people? Because, you know, there's the Wabash, DePaul, mm. Armageddon. <laughs> my, person, uh, my my parents met at DePaul, so I, I have to lean on that end of that debate um, uh, rather loyalty, loyally. Um, uh, I, um, I think... Uh, say that again, because I thought I had an answer, and I've now botched it. Mitch Daniels was governor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I the the thing that was most amazing about it was that we had ended up right in the same building. I mean, the the office of the chief justice was literally on the right above the floor where the governor's desk was, and you know we just look at each other and say, "How in the world did this happen?" Is there a uh, picture of the two of you that you sent to the Princeton alumni? Yeah, magazine? no, I no, I should have, but. Uh, 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 but we, um, we, we, it, it did make it easy. It did make, uh, not so much the, uh, because of Princeton, but because we'd known each other for so long. Um, I think I knew him back, uh, when he first, he worked for, um, Keith Bulin's, uh, uh, communications firm and, and I was working on political campaigns in Evansville. Um, but, um, it, it really was. To, to have a a lawyer uh, uh, who was somebody I'd known for a, a quarter of a century almost something like that um, it just made it it made it easier to talk to each other and to say here's what's really important to me and is there something else I can do to make this happen and is uh, what 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 worries you about what's going on on your floor or mine you mentioned um giving the oath of office to Graham Richard I'm yeah. assuming you did yeah yeah. Oh, God. Did you chuckle? Did you two chuckle at each other before you started? Well, one thing was, uh, uh, as we stood up, it was out at the fairgrounds, and uh, the first one was the, yeah. fir the first one was, and uh, the the one thing I learned later was that uh, um, his wife had said to him, "Don't look at him while you're doing this, because you'll." And what she meant was, "You're you're both going to break down," um, and that's probably was right. Uh, just you know. Old times and old friendships uh, mean a lot. Um, 
So it's, that was a, it, there's one time, one of my favorite little moments was during a state of the judiciary address and the, the, uh, which the chief justice usually gives the day or maybe two days after the state of the state address by the governor and the, and the governor comes, uh, Bob Orr was the first governor in anybody's memory to come. I called him and said, I'm given my, I'm given my, uh, second or my, no, I'm given my second uh, state of the judiciary address. Will you, will, will you come? And he said, sure, I will. So, he, so, um, uh, uh, and since then governors have always considered that a part of the building block of good relationships. So, so Mitch Daniels is sitting over here, uh, maybe five feet away on the podium. And I, one of the things I was reporting to the legislature was a, a, a reform that we had just finished, uh, called plain English jury instructions. Because the jury instructions that we read to jurors are, are are most of them been around a long time. They've been amended now and then, and they're all written by lawyers to make sure we've covered all the legal bases and so on. And um, uh, there was a, there was there were one or two other states that had decided what we're going to do is take these instructions and we're going to go back over them. We're not changing any law, but we're changing the language so that these. Um, citizens who come and sit in the jury box can understand what it is we're telling them about law. And I said, now let me give you, a, let me give you, for instance, uh, I, this is in the speech and Mitch is sitting over here and uh, uh, Becky Skillman is, sit, is sitting on the other side. And uh, I said, well, now here's an example. We have a, we've been for decades, we've been giving this instruction on the difference between direct evidence and indirect evidence. I said, and what it says is direct evidence is evidence that comes directly from an event that happened and then which can be directly attributed to indirect evidence. I said, nobody knows what that means. Here's what it now says. Direct evidence that a rabbit ran through the snow um, comes from somebody who watched the rabbit run through the snow. Indirect evidence comes from somebody who saw the rabbit's tracks in the snow. And of course, people start chuckling, right? And, and Mitch looks over at me and says, "Wait, I don't get it." <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I looked over and said, you, you, "They didn't cover that at Georgetown, surely? I thought they'd have done that." We've recorded our first podcast with him. I think he says, "Chris, that he malpracticed law." I think it's the word he used. Let's let's talk a little bit about politics. What doubt that? What, what did you? When did you first? catch the bug of politics and who were some of your political influences growing up? I mean, you grew up basically a baby boomer, I would think. Yes. And, you know, the right time the of, of some significant leaders and leadership in the United States, put Indiana aside for a little bit, but who, who kind of helped you with your political philosophy and leanings? Well, the, I, I just yesterday or today thought about the first sort of political thing that I, I re remember, um, uh, I was invited to spend the night with my, uh, with, uh, some friends of my parents. My parents had to be away. And so I, they threw an election night party the night that, um, Dwight D. Eisenhower ran for reelection against Governor Stevenson. And, uh, I, I was in the, about the third grade, maybe I'd have to stop and think about that. This was 1956. So I was probably a little older than that. Um, and, um, I was just delighted that I got to stay up. And then they finally told me his, the, the friends of my parents said, you're going to school tomorrow. You got to go to bed. 
what they forgot was that there was a radio in the room. <laughs> so I, w- I had some interest in this from, from the beginning. Not, 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 uh, none of my recent family, some of my ancestors had uh, careers in public service. But uh, um, I think the person who sort of brought me into the, um, into the field was a man named uh, Roger Zion, was the first person I ever did volunteer work and then staff work. And he, he ran for Congress from Evansville once in the 64 election as a Republican. Oops. That was not, a, yeah, that didn't work as, as well as he hoped. But then he, so, but it worked well enough that he decided to run again in 66 and he beat an incumbent who'd been there uh, five or six terms. 66 and was a good year for Republicans. Was a 64 good year. was not. Exactly right. Um, so, um, so Roger uh, invited me to become a, uh, he, the, the, the next time he ran in 68, I was his campaign manager during the summer months. And then I had to go back to college. Um, and, 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 uh, we were, uh, our offices the first time around were in a, what was then the Republican headquarters in downtown Evansville. We were up on the second floor and on the first floor was the Vandenberg County Republican Central Committee chaired by Bob Orr. Um, so I, I came to know people like that. Uh, and then ultimately uh, got invited to come. The, the Republicans finally won City Hall uh, under the leadership of a man named uh, Russell Lloyd, uh, whose son also later got elected mayor. And um, uh, Russell Lloyd invited me to come and be his assistant. I was working in D.C. at the time ironically in the same place where Pete Buttigieg now works. I literally was in that same office. I didn't have the same chair Pete Buttigieg has, but I was a, my, in my very first uh, paid job as a lawyer, I worked in the U.S. Transportation Department. And uh, I, know, I know exactly how you get to uh, Secretary Buttigieg's office. Uh, uh, I, I'm sort of hoping maybe bef- uh, someday I'll get a chance to go and uh, shake his hand in his office because I've known him, I knew him when he was do you go to D.C. a lot? No, not a lot. Well, I imagine there's a lot of folks who can make that. Happen. Yeah, that's probably right. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest is former Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, Randall Shepard. You mentioned Russell Lloyd. You just mentioned Bob Orr. You know, all of us who work in politics or have worked in politics, we think back to the people who gave you a nudge. Mm. Or said, "Hey, talk to this guy." Mm. For me, it's people like P. E. McAllister. Yeah, yeah, the greatest. Yeah, no, we have a lot of people to say thank you to, and uh, talk about those two men particularly about how they helped your career. Because, you know, maybe you got out of law school and says, "Hey, I just want to work in government and maybe be a judge," or "Hey, I want to go do something in the private sector." I mean, these are tough decisions that because when you have a law degree, quite frankly, it just opens so many doors and opportunities. Mm-hmm. And what did they help kind of steer you to public service? I, I you had to think that watching Bob Orr um, in multiple roles gave you the idea that that there there was work to be done that would be valuable to the state and the community, and and also uh, uh, interesting to do if you were involved. Um, I can remember uh, working, I think it might have been that same year that I worked for Roger Zion in that same building. Um, Bob Orr was maybe running for the state senate, I think. But in any event, he was county chairman. 
and they were just starting to build I-64, which was, uh, and they had opened, they actually hadn't opened it yet, but he, he, he made, he arranged a commercial, a television commercial in which the, the Republican candidates from Vandenberg County with Bob in the center come down the interstate road talking about the need for better transportation and the need for community development and, and, um, uh, hallelujah. Uh, and he would, he, he would treat people in, in, in ways that were very fitting. You know, his, he, um, he'd help recruit, uh, high school students to go to Yale college. And, uh, he would, um, he'd go talk at schools there's now a Bob Orr library in a school not up far from where he had lived during that period. Uh, so, um, uh, and and he would he would keep in touch. When I came back to town, I would go. He was the, the I think the first time I actually knew who he was. Um, he chaired the. Uh, there was a um, when when Barry Goldwater ran, there was a moderate Republican opponent. It's a name you'd come about Rock, Rockefeller. No, no. I saw Rockefeller once in Pete Buttigieg's office, but that was <laughs> that was later. Six uh, degrees from Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the uh, I don't think Romney ran. Well, Romney was involved yeah, uh, in '64, but may not be here talking about. I think this this gentleman had been um, governor of Pennsylvania, or uh, yeah, I know exactly. Just Stryker, Strickler. Yeah, that sounds sounds that might be right, and and he took up to be the, he opened an office on Main Street in Evansville in, in honor, in, in, in promoting this um, Republican candidate for the nomination uh, who is running against Goldwater. I think Goldwater ended up choosing him as his uh, running mate mm-hmm. in 64. Mm-hmm. Our crack research department, yeah. a.k.a. Chris Spangle, is on it as we speak. <laughs> Chris, what you got? Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm sorry. Uh, did an American Express commercial. You could, you could, nobody knew who the yeah. hell he was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how the systems have changed now because it used to be when you were doing a Google search, you'd put in individual words, and now you can put in a question like, <laughs> like, who ran against Rockefeller, for, who ran against Goldwater for the nomination in 1964? It's, uh, anyway, so uh, so so you, you just see Bob Orr, the human being, the, the thinker, a very elegant uh, guy, um, but Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton. Yeah. 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 William Scranton. He was the head of the, he opened an office for William Scranton in downtown Evansville in 64. We did a podcast a couple of years ago about Bob Orr, governor mm-hmm. and the man. Our guests were Bob Grand, mm-hmm. Darlene Sherman. Yeah. And the, um, Wallflower, otherwise known as Mark Lovers. <laughs> God love him. And one of the things that came through for all of them was just how decent he was as a man. They offered him, mm-hmm. I think, come back to Yale, do a speech, and we'll give you your degree because you left. And he's like, no. Uh, is that your opinion of him in a yeah, lot of ways? Absolutely. And here's one I'll remember. I thought what you were going to say is that I once I, I had the privilege after he left office, I, I for some reason we gathered... Uh, uh, at 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 a condo, I think it was uh, off of 86th Street, uh, where they had lived, um, and uh, he, he was uh, getting stuff ready. It's not like he hired a caterer or anything. There were only four or five of us, and he 
he pulls out this, uh, um, uh, I think it was glass, but it might have been silverish um, bowl, and he's pouring uh, potato chips into it so he can, we can pass the potato. And what I realize is it's it's an honorary something from Harvard. <laughs> so did you do it on purpose? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I, I, uh, so that's that's that was classic, you know. That was just Bob or the the wonderful human being. And there's a, there's a chance when you work in administrations. I worked in the Bowd administration. And you go to see your your coworkers, you know, go on and do amazing things. Ryan Vaughn, Paul Okus, and Jason Dudich, Chris Cotter. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Right? Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, now, uh, uh, Russell Lloyd, of course. Um, uh, I I left. Washington to go to work for him. And uh, I had come to know him working upstairs uh, where when Bob Orr was uh, the uh, party chairman. So he he was the, sort of the young guy. I think he might have even been treasurer of the uh, county committee. Um, and uh, he, uh, he was just wonderful to be with and and so energetic and viewed the future of, of the city of Evansville is something that, that could be uh, built. Uh, so there were all sorts of things that, that uh, uh, I got to do on his behalf or that he and I went. Uh, uh, Evansville won a, uh, an award from the National Trust for Historic Preservation. He decided he wanted to go to the award ceremony, which was in D.C., so he talked one of his friends into going into, uh, who had a plane, will you fly us to D.C.? So... The, the friend and uh, Mayor Lloyd and I went to D.C. for this uh, rather modest ceremony, actually, but it was a whale of a good time. When you go back to Evansville, what do you think of how it's transformed? Evansville's, I, what I usually say is Evansville has fallen on good times. They've had some terrific leadership. Yes, they have. They had a series of very good mayors, and um, uh, it's... The the uh, the city is well, well just to, you know the the uh, automobile plant up the road is actually over in uh, Gibson County, um, <clears throat> and um, they're now making uh, rather fancy cars there in addition to what they were making, um, but it it was started maybe twenty years ago. A Subaru? Does that sound right? Um, my friends in Evans will kill me that I couldn't come up with to Toyota. That's Toyota. Um, they 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 started that maybe twenty years ago, and they've never stopped building. It has one addition or another has been going on for now almost a generation. Uh, but that's uh, and that helps. Part of the reason they could do that is because Mayor Lloyd said, if we extend the city's water system up US 41 to the north of the city, even outside the city, sooner or later that's going to be an advantage economically. So he did. He spent, he talked the council and the water board into spending some real money and they built, uh, they built uh, uh, water all the way into Gibson County. So the last I knew, Toyota was still using Evansville water, hmm. Ohio River water. Um, you have a an Evansville compatriot in the state house. When did you first meet 
Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch? Oh, well, quite a long time ago. We we uh, certainly certainly while I was a trial judge, so it's been uh, at at least um, since it was it had to be before 1985. So it's been it's been at least 35 or 40 years I've known her and uh, and her husband, who's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, whom she always uh, refers to as Downs. Yeah. Uh, his full, Larry Downs. full name is Larry Downs. Um, yes, we've known each other for a very long time, and I'm a, I'm an admirer of hers. I think she's built an excellent record of public service and leadership, and uh, uh, I'm 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 privileged to know her. I think it's it's she's she's doing great things for Indiana. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guest today is former Indiana Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Randall Shepard, is there a Hoosier mm. leader or legend you particularly admire? Well, um, how could you how could you beat Richard Luger? Um, you can't. You can't. He was just a. I I remember uh, what what used to be called the Indiana Association of Cities and Towns, and I would come to to their meetings um, sometimes with Mayor Lloyd. Um, I want to. I'm going to give you a little bit of Mayor Lloyd. Here, here's the thing: when Mayor Lloyd left office, not only had he worked on water, but he'd worked on sewer and sewer plants and so on. He was he was particularly proud, and so was I. When he left office, the water that we were putting back into the Ohio after sewage was cleaner than the water we were taking out to use as drinking water, um, and. And that was nineteen. That was in the nineteen seventies. He cared about the environment. Um, and I, but I would go and listen to Dick Luger. <laughs> when he's, I can remember going to hear Dick Luger give a uh, speech um, uh, at a cities and towns uh, meeting. And for some reason, I was there on my own. Um, but it was worth the drive, uh, which of course is easier now, thanks to Mitch Daniels. Uh, but uh, it, was, right. it was certainly worth the drive to hear Dick Luger uh, talk to mayors and and uh, council members from all of them smaller places, a lot of them very small places. But what he had to talk about was how do we serve our 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 friends and families and citizens better. And it was inspiring just to listen to him, much less to know what he was actually accomplishing. You, I'm sure, in your career, and we're, I want to get to your love of the law here next, but have had the occasion to speak to, I'm assuming, thousands upon thousands of college students, young people, young lawyers, et cetera. How do you, or did you in your speech, talk about politics? And the reason I bring that up is because it's been a long time, but I used to talk every once in a while in front of college kids or whatever, go in front of a SPIA class or something like that, journalism class. And I used to tell everyone, I don't care how you vote, get involved. Uh, you'll, and I, one of my 
selling points was, and I absolutely believe this, you will meet the best people hmm. and you'll care a hell of a lot less about, about their party identification the more you know them. Has that been true for you? Yeah, I can remember an experience of going to uh, uh, to a meeting of the Evansville City Council. I think I was still in law school, but I was home for some reason. I came to see Mayor Lloyd, and uh, the uh, uh, and I went went in to watch the City Council, which was uh, d- d- uh, I think I think there was a Republican majority, but it was certainly a divided body. <clears throat> and there were, you know, normal uh, what you would think of as normal or maybe a little above normal, pushing and shoving between, uh, you know, well, now what council person said, what councilman so-and-so said isn't, isn't, can't be at all right. So it looked like a political, uh, modest, but a political fist fight. Well, it then came time for uh, uh, recess in between halves of the meeting or something. And you went uh, down the hall near the elevators and into a smaller room, open to the public, but most people didn't know it was there, was a refreshments room where you'd get you'd, you'd get um, chips and you could order uh, cans of Coke and that sort of stuff. And and all of them, all the Republicans and the Democrats and their staff, not everybody, but they'd all go down to this room to get something to drink while they were waiting for the next. And, and you'd see people uh, patting each other on the back or they'd turn around and say, do you have change for a quarter? And uh, just people smiling at one another again, you know, we're just, we're just working here. And, um, I think there's a lot about Indiana that's still like that, even though today what we would say is that politics has become meaner than ever. Um, I sometimes, are, when I talk to uh, students or others about that, I, I've recently taken the position that Indiana's a little different. It's not that there isn't some pushing and shoving or occasional punch, but I, when, you, when I, to the extent I have a chance to compare it to the national debate um uh it it's um i i can i can remember a in particular i i, I won't give you the the names because that's a little ticklish but i can remember a uh, it was a campaign for governor and one of the candidates ran a uh, commercial about the activities of his opponent and there was just a hint in the commercial, nothing brazen, but there was just a hint in the commercial that maybe that guy had had taken undue uh, benefits. benefits from a contract that he'd been a part of. Maybe he'd uh, scraped a little off. Um, six or seven days later, uh, he'd been talked into this by his staff, I feel sure. But the notion, Indiana was small enough, and there were enough people who knew both candidates that the, they knew the person who was being criticized, they start calling up the guy they're for and saying, this is wrong, you've got to stop this. And he did. And so there, there was this, you know, still, you know, it was in those days it would have been five million people, but there were, you know, people go to college in different places and then they transfer and they go to different work for different television stations. And, and um, so I think there's still some to that in Indiana. Um, if, if uh, that the that the the language is uh, more respectful. I'm not I'm not claiming this is uh, ideal, but I I do think that politics in Indiana is uh, better than what people sometimes see on the national networks. My son is going to law school. Mm. He starts this fall. Mm. I am convinced his 
drive to be a lawyer is 99.9% related <clears throat> to the fact he has seen every episode of Law & Order <laughs> multiple, multiple times. <laughs> what spurred your interest in the law and and subsequently become a judge? Because as we were saying a few minutes ago, you have so many options. Uh, he's chosen the right program. I, I recently got asked in some uh, setting uh, if I if I wanted to know what law was actually like, uh, uh, what, uh, what which which of the television shows should I watch, and um, uh, I don't watch Law and Order much anymore. I'm now a, more of an NCIS guy, uh, but uh, I, I I recommended Law and Order, so he's on the right trail, and I'm not, not surprised that it worked well. <laughs> Did you watch Perry Mason? When oh, you sure, were a kid? absolutely. You bet. Um, yeah, Perry Mason. Uh, I'd have to stop and think what were some of the other programs, but I did tend to watch it. But when I when I left high school, um, my I had three ideas in mind. One was being a lawyer. My mother had recommended that. She said law. She was absolutely right. Uh, law will um, prepare you for a lot of things including being a lawyer, but other things other than being a lawyer, that there are plenty of, and you would know, plenty of people who are in corporate work or um, education uh, who, uh, who who went to law school. It's, it's, a, it's a good, she was right about that. And then uh, the second one was journalism. I had been the editor of my school newspaper, and I'm still fascinated by newspapers and, and by uh, modern broadcasting and, and uh, communication, uh, <laughs> like podcasts. And, uh, and the third was the Foreign Service, um, because I had I'd known a few people when, when I was a kid. I'd known some folks who were, who, whose parents were in the Foreign Service, or, and I was interested in international events. Um, and your peace, the peace Corps was proposed right about the same yeah, time? Yeah, I think by the, that's the Kennedy administration, isn't it, I think? Um, <clears throat> Uh, I still have that interest, and part of the part of the way I get some of that is by travel. Um, we we we're not consummate travelers, but my wife and I enjoy uh, going interesting places. Uh, um, and uh, and journalism, I still get a chance. I, I I did a column for the Business Journal, and uh, uh, so I still get a chance to to do those things from time to time. When you travel to other countries, have you ever visited a courtroom in session? Oh, court oh yes, absolutely. Uh, quite a long time ago, I I went in to watch a um, um, a court of appeals in London. Um, now, the interesting thing about the, the the fabulous thing simply to see, they've changed it now. Britain now has a Supreme Court. It used to be that the highest court of Great Britain was the House of Lords, and the highest actual court was a committee of the House of Lords. And so you would go in to watch an argue, a case being argued, and um, the only people in the room wearing robes were the lawyers. They weren't literally, they would wear uh, sort of... Um, capes, small capes, mm -hmm. and, and uh, tops, you know, uh, white uh, caps. Not the people here in the case because they, they were committee members. So on the other side of the, of the people at the bench, so to speak, uh, didn't sit at a bench. They sat at a series of tables like they were part of a committee hearing mm -hmm. a request for an increase in sewer rates or something. I mean, just, uh, <laughs> you know. Were they barristers uh, or solicitors yeah, by would, training? You, I think you would be a barrister. 
that difference has sort of merged over time. But um, yes, I, I saw, and, and occasionally when I would travel, this was probably after I'd made the lawyer decision, but I'd find myself someplace and I'd, I'd look around and say, well, where, where, where is the court in this town? Uh, and what are the most beautiful buildings are the courts? Uh, frequently Court so. House. Frequently so. Uh, I remember going to, um, looking, I found one in, uh, we had gone to uh, Nantucket and uh, just for three or four days. And I discovered that there was a court in Nantucket. It's not a very big place, really. So I decided to go down and watch the court. And wouldn't you know, uh, talk about the, here's the com combination between law and everyday living the case i sat in on was a dispute it was a, it was a preliminary hearing in a divorce case but the thing that was being disputed on was who had to move out of the house because the property values in nantucket were so high that the income of of uh, the people who were divorcing wasn't enough to pay for two places to live so who has to move out was something you had to go to court over. Mm. Um, and I uh, thought to myself, well, that tells me I'm, you know, I'm not in Des Moines. Uh, <laughs> did, did being a judge, was that a goal of yours, a career goal? No. Ever to be justice? Like, boy, I'd really like to do that. No, never. Uh, so when it was offered to you, the just, to be on the Supreme Court, and then you became Chief Justice later, did you go, what, me, huh? How did this happen? Well, I know exactly how it started. Um, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Ann Walker sat me down in the summer of 1980. I had just lost the election for mayor of Evansville the following fall. And um, I was doing some law practice on my own. Ann said, Do you, have you heard that there's a, an opening coming on the Superior Court? And I said, yes. And she said, are you going to apply? And I said, no. Um, she said, yes, you are. <laughs> and she, she sat me down on the, on, a, on the steps. I know exactly where they are. I went by them a couple of weeks ago in Evansville. Uh, Ann, Sch Ann Schmidt, her name was at that moment, Ann Schmidt, um, talked me into it. And uh, so I became a trial judge, and I enjoyed that enormously. And and thought about sort of normal career advancement uh, led me to ultimately to apply for the Supreme Court. Were you? Did that help soften the blow of losing in '79? Um, probably. I've never actually thought of it that way. Uh, it you was, can still serve, you know. That yeah, sort of maybe thing. maybe so. Uh, I didn't lose by much. It was a pretty close election. Um, on the day I was sworn in, uh, I think this was on the day I was sworn in as Chief Justice, um, one of the people who attended was Mike Vanderveer, who had who had defeated me in the mayor's race. And uh, whoever introduced him uh, introduced him as the man who made it all possible. <laughs> <laughs> so he and I, and there's an example, I mean, he and I don't see each other every, but every very long time, but we stand and just chat where, you know, where you've been headed and what are you up to? And, uh, that's, I'm happy to, I still say there's a lot more of that in Indiana than, than Indiana gives itself credit for. Did you have a particular judge or justice, either like at the micro level, 
county or state, let's say, or the macro level of Justice Harlan or mm, someone like that who question. you studied or admired the most? Uh, the the chief judge of the Superior Court when I was there was a gentleman named Terry Deach, uh, who was just a splendid human being and uh, was uh, admired, uh, very very humble and quiet. But you 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 learned things. I would actually, if I had even after I got on the court, I would go um, and if I had a spare hour or two, I'd go and watch Judge Deach, just see. How what is he? How does he run a courtroom? How does he rule on motions and that sort of stuff? Um, One of our previous guests, we've had several lawyers on the podcast, but the two that stand out for me are Jim Voiles, yes, and Judge Sarah Evans, yes. My goodness, I asked them how you deal. You know you. you, you you go through law school, you're basically kind of in the same community and you butt heads and how do you treat your friends and how do you uh, rule against things that you know? I mean, is that just something that you weigh as part, not, not, let me say this the right way, to accept the positions that put you in a uh, place of authority, knowing that your friends, people you know, are going to come before you. Is that something that worried you ever? You do. You do have to think about it sometimes, um, and uh, you you have to ask yourself: Is this a case where I shouldn't hear the case? I had I had one time where um, two lawyers came to see me, wanting to know if I would uh, preside in the divorce case, and they were representing both sides. And they said, "Our clients have agreed. Um, we we have sought a new judge from the one who was originally assigned." and we have a chance to recruit somebody. That's one of the things that the, the parties can do under the rule if they can come to an agreement is try to get somebody. Would you do it? And I, the the difficulty was that they were both people that I had I had known both of them since I was a teenager, and um, uh, I I just I didn't see. I worried about whether I could be fair, but more than that, I worried about whether in the end I was going to lose one of them as a friend. Mm. And there are times when you have to do that. You just have to look at somebody and say, I'm sorry, you're, what you're asking is, uh, isn't is the legal solution to this problem. And you just have to, so you, uh, uh, but I, I declined because I, I knew I'd worry about that um, uh, in ways that, uh, that, that I probably, uh, I shouldn't, um, shouldn't do. I asked the great Jim Voiles and he is yeah. spectacular lawyer and spectacular man. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Before, and then it was about the time I was interviewing and it was Danielle Shockey who was, uh, who leads the Girl Scouts. We interviewed yeah. Sue Ellen Barker or Sarah Evans Barker together. Mm. Mm. And then I subsequently had lunch with her a few times. Oh my. And she's a hoot, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Since I'm not in her courtroom, I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, alternatingly sweet, sour, and always to the point. Well, and I think one thing judges need to do is to be out and about. One of the things I uh, I would say, and people repeat this back to me, uh, who were who were judges, trial judges, when I was uh, 
when I was chief, somebody came up and said, I don't actually remember saying this, but it sounds like something I would have agreed with. She said, you told us to get out from behind the bench and get some reforms made. Um, because judges are in a position to do that. We don't, that's not, people uh, outside the profession wouldn't normally think of it that way. But um, there are plenty, we, the judges, we, we recruited judges uh, to help us with the plain jury, plain English jury instructions, right? Um, and in fact, we, um, we recruited an English teacher as a consultant. We wanted somebody whose whole life was built on communication, and uh, and I think that being I, I said the other day that being, being spending your career with lawyers is is a really first rate thing. I said uh, the uh, the sentence I had was lawyers. Um, I we all know lawyers who lawyers enjoy everything from Chat GPT to canoeing. <laughs> I mean they're just uh, they're interesting folks on the average, and they and 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 you get to hear interesting. Um, Interesting um, uh, propositions, interesting stories, and and uh, learn learn new things and to do projects with them. In two thousand seven, you formed half of a dynamic duo with former Governor Joe Kernan. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. On the Kernan Shepherd Commission that was, <clears throat> I guess, put together by Governor Daniels. Mm-hmm. It's a way to reform government, modernize it. I was the communications director at the Indiana Republican Party at the time and I had to do several interviews about it. Mm. I thought the work you all did, it should have just been approved by acclamation. <laughs> how how honored were you to be with Joe Kernan, a true Hoosier legend who you knew, obviously? Um, what did you think about the work and were you disappointed in kind of how it turned out? Um, being with Joe Kernan is just a marvelous experience I, I i said uh that if you if you were going to be remembered in part for being at the back end of a hyphen how could you beat having joe kernan at the front end <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's just just the way it was and um uh it was a a, a wonderful experience and um i i attended uh, the unveiling of his bust uh, in the state house a few weeks ago, his, your, your friend Kevin Murray strong armed me into making a donation. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, uh, you're, you're uh, at this ceremony. Uh, of course, they had the the bust was there, and his um, uh, uh, Maggie and the and the children were uh, all right tied in, and and the the he had mostly sisters, but he had a a younger brother, and the younger brother spoke briefly, and he said. He said, and, and the story was that they never showed us this bust until now. Even the family has not seen it. Um, he said, uh, um, I, I know that Joe would, I, I don't, I know what Joe would say, uh, even though I don't know what the bust looks like, he said, the younger brother. I know it, I don't know what the bust looks but I know what Joe will say. He'll say, couldn't you have put more hair on top? <laughs> uh, so, in you know, I, we had a, a, a wonderful circle of, of uh, members on that study commission, and um, uh, I changed my mind about a number of things as we went on and explored things that I thought needed needed further exploration. 
In terms of outcome, there I've mentioned two, I'll say two things. One is I'm very encouraged at how often that same st it still comes up. You know, within the last two or three sessions, there have been bills introduced to adopt various parts of our report, which means, uh, you know, we're not done yet. Uh, and the other thing is that, that more happened than uh, uh, I never expected we'd get 100%. And, and actually, Mitch Daniels ultimately did a checklist. Which one of these did we do all or part of, and which ones did we, do, did we not get in done? And it's actually better than most people think. Um, I found myself, this is something I don't even, I, uh, I found myself on election day once, this is half a dozen years ago, um, uh, I must have been going in and out of a sandwich place or something, but a, a gentleman who was a firefighter saw me coming in and stopped me and said, thank you for Kernan Shepard. Hmm. And I said, well, I'm, um, you're welcome. Uh, why has it interested in you? And he said, it has, it has been a force for change in the or organization and operation of Marion County firefighting. Uh, so, uh, and uh, we made, they made some serious changes about uh, laws on nepotism and um, who you could hire and who you couldn't hire, uh, or mostly who you couldn't hire, relatives and um, of a certain closeness and that sort of thing. So um, it, uh, I, I rated as, uh, no, not a 100%. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and, and still is a little bit on uh, townships. Um, but, um, I, I, townships, uh, in terms of the financing are not a, not a huge part of the public budget. And, um, uh, and, and, uh, from time to time, there've been some changes up and around, uh, uh, Lebanon and Zionsville. Some of those governments have shifted how they're organized and joined together in one way or another in a way that people didn't think about. Uh, 15 years ago. So I'm, I, it was a great experience and uh, um, you got to leave something for the next, uh, the next crowd. We have a few more minutes with former Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, Randy Shepard. Do you have a favorite law movie, courtroom drama? We talked about Law and Order, but I always like to ask lawyers and historians, you know, do you have a favorite history movie or a favorite? Well, one that I'll, um, oh dear, uh, one that I pretty much will always watch when it rolls around on TV is uh, uh, the one about the uh, Scopes trial. Um, Inherit the Wind? Inherit the Wind, yeah. Um, I can, <laughs> given some time, I quote a bunch of that uh Oh, uh, uh, what's the great line? Uh, I had a nice. Oh, she says uh, when when uh, the reporter shows up, uh, there's a one come, woman comes up to him and, and says, uh, 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 "If you if you need a nice place to stay, uh, I I can recommend something." And he looks at her and says, "Madam, I had a nice place to stay, and I left it to come here." <laughs> Should say that is Spencer Tracy. That's Spencer. Yeah, I think so. There's so many wonderful the movies wonderful, that deal yeah. with the law, the well, verdict, witness for the prosecution. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've watched that a lot of times. Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. It, did that witness for the prosecution help you? I mean, some of these movies are 50, 60 years old now. Did you see those and go, I want to be a part of that? Because I'm convinced 
that a lot of folks see things younger and then when they get older mm-hmm. and have a chance to do exactly what they enjoyed watching while they were younger, that influence stays. I've never thought that it had, but I, uh, you could be right. <laughs> it could be. Uh, I had actually never been in a courtroom until I went to law school. And I came back from from Connecticut on my on my first uh, Christmas vacation. I went down to the courthouse in Evansville and sat and watched lawyers and judges. <laughs> I figure if I'm headed in this direction, I ought to get a close look, and um, and I did. That turned out just fine. But uh, uh, whether that how much that mattered, I didn't, I don't know. Were you? I'm going to phrase this because it's meant to be a compliment. Hmm. Your Honor. So if it doesn't come across as a compliment, all right. Been there, me. been there, done that. Were you satiated with the Indiana Supreme Court? Like this is perfectly fine. I don't want to go to some federal court or in the United States Supreme Court or do anything else. Like this is great. I, I don't. I've reached my pinnacle and I'm thrilled. Or was it the direction the other way? Hey, I'd really like to do something else. Well, I always kept my eyes open. Um, but I sure was having a good time, and I thought we were we were uh, achieving a lot, certainly in terms of the decisions themselves, but also in terms of court reform. What can we do to make this larger system? One of the things uh, Chief Justice Rush is, has been so uh, strong on, and she's absolutely right, are what are now called um, community courts, problem-solving courts, where the where the um, where the there's a specialized docket aimed at people who are, uh, have displayed a particular problem like drugs, mm-hmm. um, and and they and they treat them in a way this and that we also have what are called veterans courts the people who have a specialized needs. Huh? Out of, right. How much do we love Dave Serto? Yeah, here on the Leaders and Legends <laughs> podcast, he's a terrific, terrific as a veteran. Yeah, yeah, I help him. I do his PR for free. Did, oh, he's good. a wonderful, wonderful well, man. Well, so I, so I, you know, but uh, two things. Um, I was getting old enough so that if I was going to have any other opportunities in my life, I was going to have to re- retire. And twenty-five years, uh, I was on the court almost twenty-seven. Um, so I decided part of it was, uh, are there other things you can do? And some of those turned out to be absolutely super. And the other thing was that the court too needs change. It needs change in personnel every once in a while to people with different ideas or different experiences can come to the front. And, um, so that's the other thing I, th- I thought maybe it might be time to, um, uh, add a new player. Without mentioning names, I mean, there everyone knows their names, but when you see what happens in D.C. with mm. the confirmation process, what is your opinion of that when you see it? And it, do you think it discourages people from, maybe the top people, from applying for these in critical roles? I think it is something of a discouragement, um, though I think the many of the best players would be willing to throw themselves into the fire in order to in order to have the chance to make a difference so it is it's certainly different you know the the first person ever to appear in front of a judiciary committee was sherman mitten oh yeah 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 and um was that, that, was that eisenhower's ca- what, what no cabinet? it was, was truman that? truman's cabinet yeah truman he got in trouble i don't remember maybe members of his cabinet got in trouble and oh of Truman's cabinet. 
Yeah, yeah, not not Sherman Minton. I, I saw his his bust is over in the state house. Right. I saw it just just this morning. Um, so uh, he before that, for most of American history, they never they, they there were no hearings. There was simply a vote. And in fact, I read recently somebody in the twenties was the first person whose nomination was even referred to a committee. Before that, they simply were on a list of things, a list of um, resolutions to be considered by the Senate, and you either you voted or you didn't. <laughs> Last question before we get to the five questions. Uh-oh. You're a lover of history. Yes. You have written a book. Guilty about... is charged. <laughs> <laughs> All of us who uh, love our history, including Mr. Spangle, um, fascinated by the people and the, the movements, and uh, you wrote a book about that includes history, please tell the Leaders and Legends podcast audience about it. Indiana can use all of the, uh, uh, all of the uh, new looks uh, at history that we can, that we can uh, persuade uh, people to come forward with. And uh, the, the, um, uh, I was not the sole author, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the book that you're thinking of, I believe, um, uh, particularly focused on different um, experiences in Indiana history. And I'll give you, for example, it's one of my, one of, uh, what, was, what was Indiana like in terms of providing free assistance to people who were charged with a crime and didn't have money to hire a lawyer? What's Indiana's history on that? And the answer is, it's awfully good. Uh, free Miranda? Absolutely, long way before, uh, way before the federal Miranda '66. Yeah, but Miranda's the advisement uh, mm-hmm. case. Um, but Indiana adopted Indiana, the Indiana Supreme Court and Indiana government started appointing public defenders in I think 1857. Mm. Um, and uh, another another field where it's valuable to spend some time is uh, Indiana's history on slavery. You know, I, in 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 Ohio and Illinois, if you had a if you had a slave, uh, uh, and uh, it was illegal to have a slave after becoming a state, um, the state courts in those places and the federal courts, for that matter, uh, took the position that. That, that didn't mean you lost ownership. It just meant that eventually you had that the slave was going to work his or her way out of slavery. And Indiana had did none of that. And then, you know, year two of statehood and year three, uh, they they said it, it says here there shall be no slavery, and that's what it means. And um, and then of course the uh, uh, the slave owners started using. Um, indentured servitude and the uh, like 18 months later the indiana supreme court said what part of no don't you get (laughs) so um, i think those stories are valuable to tell people um particularly young people about uh what what difference you can make in a life what difference did it make that you know that indiana did did a took a completely different look on this than than Places we consider perfectly respectable, Ohio and Illinois, um, and uh, uh, even the Continental Congress gets some uh, some credit because I, I read a story just the other day pointing out that that the, the, the Continental Congress created the Northwest Territory, right. and one of the things it put in the Northwest Ordinance was no slavery, 
And um, even though some of the people in the Continental Congress were slave owners, but they aspired to build a better society. And as they were getting ready to do that and, and uh, create Ohio, Illinois, and Michigan, and so on, uh, they put that in the Northwest Ordinance. And that's sort of the things, there are reasons, there are plenty of things, Indiana, that we can do better. But there are a lot of things we've done pretty well. We have reached the point on the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. You're going to tell me who gave the best answer so I could go pat them on the back? I <laughs> <laughs> had some terrific answers, that's that. for sure. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite coincidences is the fact that, and you'll get this question in a second, I asked Terry Curry, who's a wonderful man, yeah. what his first concert was, and he said... Love and Spoonful in the Association in Clues Hall. About two months later, I asked Mitch Daniels, what was your first concert? He said, Love and Spoonful in the Association at Clues Hall. Well, I'm going to have a tough one with that. So we'll start easy. What was your first job? Uh, Other than delivering newspapers as a newspaper boy, the first thing, the first place where I was actually on a payroll was McDonald's hamburgers. I, I earned 75 cents an hour. In uh, 1970, uh, rather 19, uh, probably 1960, I started out as a milkshake man, but I, I later graduated to French fries. And the milkshake machine was actually working because it do- pretty much doesn't ever now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number two. Yeah. What was your first concert? Uh, this this won't sound nearly as exciting as some of the examples you've just given, but I I think the. The first concerts I really remember were the Evansville Philharmonic in the Veterans Coliseum, and that would have been about 1961 or two. But you grew up in a time where the music was the best of the best. Oh, I know. Did you see that about a week ago I saw a flash in the elevator uh, uh, coming up and down where they put little newsy mm-hmm. points, and it said, uh, uh, today in 1957... Paul McCartney uh, went to a, a garden uh, party, and he met a, somebody he'd never met before n- named John Lennon. And uh, <laughs> there you go, off and running. <laughs> Number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? If you were interested in law, um, there's a new book called 70 times 7. It is about one of the most famous Indiana cases involving the death penalty for a young girl named Paula Cooper. Oh, yeah. That, that a, there was a big Indianapolis Star yeah. series of articles mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. And uh, it was an international uh, uh, topic of uh, news coverage. And the, in fact, uh, the Pope wrote to Governor Orr and asked him to commute her sentence um, and the governor responded that he, he didn't want to rule anything out, but he would wait until the courts were done with their work. While that happened, while that was going on, the Indiana legislature amended the death penalty statute so that you had to have been at least 16 when you committed murder in order to be eligible for the death penalty. And Paula Cooper had been 15. But they did not want to disturb any existing uh, cases. Anyway, so it was quite a... And you were involved in that case? I was on the Supreme Court that uh, converted it from the death penalty to the maximum number of years under the murder statute. And um, a new book has been written 
about that whole case, including about Paula Cooper's family and um, the Pelkey family. That's the Ruth Pelkey was the one that that Paula Cooper and her friends killed. And it's uh, it's an interesting um, read in terms of uh, um, how does society work and how do families work. Next question. If you this is going to be tough. If you've you been doing pretty well so far. Well, I like uh, asking lawyers and yeah, those tough that's questions. Right, yeah. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? Gettysburg. Which day? Day three. So pick its charge. Yeah. I heard recently, I read recently that uh, 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 that Pickett ultimately went into the insurance business. I don't think I'd ever known that. I think I got that right. And that people would occasionally ask him, uh, why did Pickett's charge fail? And his stock answer was, I think the Yankees had something to do with it. <laughs> I just finished a book on General Longstreet. Oh, yeah. And the author is coming on the podcast. Ah, outstanding. Last question. Ugh. If you could, I'm surprised you didn't say Scope's Monkey Trial, but we'll. Well, that was, that'd be, yeah, yeah, that'd be worthwhile. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? Wow. Gosh. Well, I hope uh, not too many of your interviewees have uh, uh, dawdled as long as I am here. Um, they almost all do. They all. <laughs> um, this is where I could say, you know, there's a question pending. There's a, <laughs> Mr. Chief Justice. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Give me a, give him a break. Um, Dan Coates. A former podcast guest. Yes. Who is actually <laughs> going to come on again. Is he? Well. And the absolute pinnacle of a public servant and a person. There's no nicer, more humble man walking the planet than Dan Coates. You know, give him my best and tell him I put him on the list. <laughs> uh, you have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by... Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Our guest today has been former Indiana Supreme Court Chief Justice, Randall Shepard. You've been, I cannot tell you how many of your friends have said you've got to talk to oh Randy. Oh. Thank you so much. You were exactly as advertised, oh my. and I can't thank you enough for your time. My privilege. Um, I'm so grateful you're doing what you're doing, not, not just with me, but with so many other um, so many other people who are, be, who are interesting to, to, to talk with. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.